Alright, hello and welcome to the Bryce Cast, the Call of Duty Esports podcast, talking to players and covering esports news. My name is, of course, Bryce, and I'll be bringing you through this one, but more importantly, my guest for this episode, Justin, better known as Silly. First of all, how are you, my friend? Um, you know, I'm pretty pretty good right now, just chilling, relaxing in the off season. Um, playing a lot of Among Us, a lot of Warzone. <laughs> I th- you and the entire Call of Duty community, I think that's basically the the schedule at the moment for anybody. Play some Warzone, and you're like, nope, now I want to go scream at all my friends for a, for an hour about you know why they're a liar and I'm not. Um, let's kind of get straight into uh, some some big topics now. First of all, congratulations on the team move. It's always big news when the player signs with a new agency. Uh, are you excited to to kind of are you are you moving to LA? I don't know what's going on with COVID right now. Um, yeah, I think. All of us are going to move to LA, um, at least during season. Um, COVID there, uh, it's probably pretty locked down. Not a lot of stuff is open there, so I assume it's going decent. Um, really excited to be close to home, though. Quick little four-hour drive back and forth if I want to come back home. So definitely a lot closer than being in Minnesota. Just, just, just for clarity, right? Obviously, that's a difference in cultures between the US and the UK. Four hours is not a quick drive. <laughs> just that's that's basically the majority of my country. <laughs> like yeah, like one end to the other over here. If you drive through my state, I think it's like ten hours. If you drive from the bottom to the top, I think uh, I think uh, a friend of mine's done like a six to eight hour drive, and that you leave the country at that point. That's 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 out of the country into Scotland and and doing various other bits. Like I think it took me six hours to basically get to the border. Um, and I'm fairly southern, so to get to the northern border is obviously, you know, a fairly long drive for me. But no, it, it's awesome. They said I was, um, I wanted to have you back on, but I knew there was some uh, some switching going on with the teams, and that's actually an issue I'm having at the moment with podcasts in general. Is oh, are these people coming on? Yes, but they need to wait for their team announcement, or they need to wait for some some news to come out and that sort of stuff. I even got people lined up in the future. It's like, well, I've made the thumbnails, but you know, I've kind of guessed what teams are going to, or, or learnt the insider trading. Has uh has off season been stressful for you because of this, or was it fairly easy going? Like, it, you know, well, just basically what what happened, you know? Um, the off season this year was really really stressful. It's probably the this is probably the first one that's been like actually stressful for me. Um, I literally just wanted it to be over with the entire time. You know, obviously coming off a poor last half of the year makes things really really stressful, especially with jobs being cut. So, you know, obviously 20% less jobs. And then also we got, you know, we got smoked for the last half of the year. I'm just like, wow, man, this is absolutely horrific. Um, you know, we're, we're lucky to get on a team um, with no expansion at this point. Um, just slide on to one of them and, you know, happy to be on LA because that's where I wanted to go in the first place. Um, but yeah, don't, don't want to ever deal with an off season like that ever again. <laughs> well, Fingers crossed it's, you know, all plain sailing for at least the next couple of years before I'm sure everything goes mad again. Um, so usually in this, I like to start somewhere like where I kind of put like, or at least I first recognize your career or the pro part of your career. But I was looking through and obviously you've been around for quite a long time in Call of Duty Esports as I was going through your records. Um, so here's an interesting question. When did you consider that you went professional? Because, like, you've been around since, like, you were playing in Black Ops 2. COD 4, I've got it back here, you know? Like, there's a there's a long list here. But when do you think you actually hit, this is uh, a professional career for me? 
um, a professional career for me. It probably started to be that way in AW and then in IW. It was actually like, well, I can put more time into this and focus on this and, you know, it's actually sustainable. That, make, that makes sense. Because obviously, like, you went from Black Ops 3, Cloud 9, you know, not a bad team by any by anybody's uh, by anyone's recognition. Into E United. Um, mm-hmm. Let's let's start there then. Let's start IW. Um, <laughs> not the greatest of starts, IW for you, uh, according to this. Las Vegas Open, twenty first, twenty fourth, with E United actually legal, Pac Man and silly. Um, is this because obviously E United is a well known brand now in college? Um, maybe not so much back then, you know, it, it was still kind of being founded and, and coming through. But what do you think was the the difference in terms of like turning up and saying, hey, this is we're coming here to play properly and professionally now? Um, definitely the event after that. Obviously, Vegas didn't go great for us, but um, <laughs> we'll get you know, we had a <laughs> full a full roster reskin um, going into Atlanta. And obviously we won that event. So that's kind of when it made that like jump. Um, I got, I kind of got control of the team because I was I was like the best one on the team at that time. So he kind of just Burns just let me kind of pick up who I wanted. Um, I actually um, could have picked up known pro players over the Twins and Gunless if I wanted to, and I would have made more money. But I took a pay cut to pick up those three. I mean, obviously now those three are known as some of the greatest players of all you know of, of recent times, but. Back then, yeah, I can I can see exactly what you mean, but that must have been cathartic for you at the very least, right? Obviously, it was a really bad start to IW. You know, you picked this team, you know, uh, and obviously, you know, when you look at Arsene Pristini and Gunless, incredibly talented players. After that event, did you notice a, a difference in terms of the way people were approaching you, or you know, the the way you were kind of in the, in the scene? Because winning a big CWL event. It's all. It always makes kind of ripples through your career. Yeah. Um. I mean, there's there's a ton of fans and uh, players alike that treat people different depending on their social status or how they're doing in the current game. Which is, you know, I'll never uh I'll never participate in any of that. But um, yes, there's <laughs> there's a lot of people <laughs> that will treat people differently because of how they're doing or how their team's doing or if they need something from them. Um, obviously that changes depending, you know, if you're winning, losing and it sucks. It's like that, but yeah, definitely. No, yeah, I, I get that. And uh, it's one of these ones where like looking back in the history of Call of Duty to what it is now, like I feel like now it's, it's less of a change because people, as soon as you come in now, there's always this hype over any new player or any player that's just starting to come through to the top where people already kind of know and expect a lot of them. Back then, it was a little bit of elitism, snobbish, bit, bit snobbish occasionally uh, for for a lot of players here. Um, going through your IW career, actually, it, it's interesting. It kind of goes up and down a little bit. What exactly happened in Paris, uh, by the way? Because you went from first to, and that's a week later, uh, if I read that correctly. A week later, Paris did not go well for you. Um, so we were on pretty much a three-week trip from Atlanta to Paris. I'm pretty sure. Um, I ended up when I got to Paris, I had strep throat the entire time. And also Preston, Preston was super sick as well. So I was just like, I was literally at the point, like we just won and I was so sick and I like needed to go home (laughs) super, super bad. And then we ended up getting smoked because of it. Um, two of us being sick, you know, isn't the recipe for a win. Um, 
Granted, we got knocked out by like a 6-5 last map, but yeah, we were really, really sick. Did that allow you to kind of take that loss a little bit easier? Or were you still annoyed even though, you know, you were like ill? Because I feel like that's a great excuse. Well, we were basically, you know, like struggling to play at what we know was an appropriate level. Um, we definitely could have went back to back if we were a hundred percent. Um, but you know, obviously we weren't. Uh, us getting first to the last event definitely kind of cushions that loss a little bit. I wasn't like like super super mad about it, but it still <laughs> sucks to lose. No, I I can see that. I was uh, I was wondering, are you one of those players who takes losses really badly? Because um, a lot a lot of players don't take losses well. Obviously, you know, you're all competitors. You want to win. It's something that I've always said you, you can tell when you meet a player. Um, but I've always said as well, right, you can tell where a player is in their career by how badly they take their losses. They take their losses really well. You know they're starting to lose that competitive edge. Um, but is it is it one of these, like, do you, do you rage? Do you go a bit, a bit of a sulk? Like, I've seen players who just speak to their teammates for, like, the next day. What, 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 kind of, uh, what kind of, how do you deal with it? Um, I never sulk or anything. It kind of depends on how I lose. If we... If we lose because we beat ourselves over doing something stupid, yeah, I'll I'll rage. I'll rage real hard. But other than that, I just like I like to uh I like to try and go over why we lost immediately after so it gets engraved in everyone's brain, like, why do we do this? We shouldn't have done this. Because if if you give it a day and you like let everybody relax and the sting kind of wears off and then your words that you're saying aren't as like critical to them, they don't care as much. So as soon as you lose, figure out why you lost. Um, if we beat ourselves, like if you do something really stupid to barely lose, then yeah, that's super, super annoying. And you really have to just, you know, you have to call out whoever did it pretty much. Here's, here's an interesting question that I've always found so kind of weird about pro players. And, and in fairness, it's not just pro players. Fans and cast do this as well. There are those moments, especially in tight games, where it's like, ah, oh, if I'd gone left or won that one gunfight, you know, oh, it would have been a different result. And it kind of, like, completely invalidates the rest of the map. Like, there were probably many moments like that on the rest of the game where you could have won a gunfight and got, like, an extra four points. But because it's right at the end, if you lose lose that four points, people seem to stress over those moments way more than I think is probably appropriate. Um, I, I agree with that. I don't really ever... Uh stress too much over moments like that where there's like a late game decision maker because obviously a lot of stuff had to go wrong to get to the point where you're actually losing so i kind of don't micromanage like one certain play like that and you kind of have to think about the whole the whole game yeah like i said it, it depends for me it always depends on the player on expected some of them are like just reminiscing three years later about a, <laughs> a missed grenade throw they've made you know in, in a in a final somewhere and i'm like that was not the problem right like <laughs> you didn't lose three maps by that one that one problem right um yeah so it, it's always interesting to get a, a player's point of view on that and how they deal with uh taking a loss and, and rebuilding after it now the the rest of this obviously you came back from paris obviously recovered um and went to the Dallas Open, right? Like the Dallas Open you went to, you came second in the end to that one. I'm guessing that was a harder loss to take because coming second is never fun for any pro player. Um, Yeah, we actually uh, almost reverse swept Optic twice. Um, we did in the first series, and then going into the second series, we could have again, but we actually played Scorch S&D last map. 
And that map was so bad that immediately after that event, it got taken out. So like <laughs> we, we ended up getting stuck with this horrible map that they literally like fried us on and it was never there again. So really unfortunate. I feel like it was a different map. We would have won that series. Um, so it really sucks that it was Scorch. Yeah, I mean, that probably would have changed uh, a few of the narratives going forward right? because that was obviously the part of the Dynasty OG squad that a lot of people like to, to talk about and, and kind of rave. Now, this is always weird because I always try to break down the the global pro leagues and how the pro leagues were and stuff because apparently you come top four in it, they, it counts as a win, and then you go into the playoffs. Playoffs, the first playoff, stage one, didn't go particularly well. Um, and this is actually essentially the end of that team that had already won earlier on. What happened in, in that playoff season with, you know, Gunless or, or what happened with him around it? Because obviously, you know, that's got to be a factor. Uh, essentially, you know, I just want to kind of know from your point of view, that E United team was doing well, then suddenly wasn't. Um, basically, um, I, I wasn't the greatest teammate in the world. I kind of uh, prioritized other things over so screaming a lot of the time. But, you know, I feel like I feel like we were still super good. Um, Pierce was kind of falling into the trap of like the other, like we were talking about earlier, like the other pro players, like trying to talk to him and things like that. And like kind of trying to poach him a little bit. So he ended up just wanting to leave after that event, which I mean, pretty much was our first bad event. If you don't count Paris. Yeah. Um, and you know, so after that, our team kind of just like fell apart and we were in like a weird limbo period where Pierce didn't want to play with us, but it was like hard to get a fourth. That was like as good as him. So we went to like I think Anaheim was after that, and we just picked up like you know we we picked up Swarley to play with. Hadn't really practiced with him much. Kind of got smoked there too. Yeah, so it was definitely a really really weird period. No, yeah, I, I can see that in my notes. Yeah, come top twelve at Anaheim, which obviously a little bit of a, a fall from grace. But here's the best thing, you know. Essentially, you you, you started to build uh, an incredible roster because you had Clays to come in, right? And obviously, a lot of people know at that time, you know. Paster uh, uh, on the come up, and this is the start of him being in that EU United squad that eventually won a world championship in. Um, but it went, I want to say it went okay for you guys. Like you stage two playoffs, you came third. That's a very good result for that team. Uh, obviously not the result you probably would have liked, but in in balance, your IW season definitely had you pegged as like a top three potential team for a good portion of it. Like there was at no point you could really count you out. It just seems like IW for you, if you don't mind me saying, was circumstantial, really, like, based on the team on that event on that weekend, not how they would be over a longer period. Like, it's really easy to look at all these results, right, and say, well, you know, that's first, first, second, third, twelfth, ninth, first, whatever. And then and then there's always a reason behind it, right? Like, team changes, you said, and there's, <laughs> like I said, the first team change, then the second team change kind of always built you back up to that point all the way leading into the World Championship 2017. Um, now, that's a little bit of an anomaly for me because that's top six in what I would have usually said you should have been higher in. And I always like to ask pro players about champs because every pro player remembers their champs very, very well. Uh, what happened? Like, what happened that event, 2017? Um, very similar to what happened at playoffs beforehand. Um... I don't want to say like at playoffs, we kind of like underestimated Envy because we like, we used to bully them all year. Like it was like a 3-0 every time we play them. Um, they obviously ended up a lot better at playoffs and champs. Um, 
we came out kind of flat on Sunday, lost to them, and that kind of just put us in a bad situation. Then going into champs, uh, we're playing Envy. I think we were up, what, what was it? It must have been, yeah, it was like 1-1. We're up 10-0 on the uplink, get 10-0 came back on. We're up 120 points in the next hard point, get came back on. And after a loss like that, I feel like it was super, super hard for us to regain and come back from. So our series against LG was just like, whatever. Like it was like a lost full playing them series so yeah yeah no i, I can say that like i say it's always it's always interesting for world championships because i've never met a pro player who doesn't remember what they've done sometimes it's a little bit like uh confusing because you play so many events especially back in those days, right um but world championships there's not a player worth their salt who doesn't remember everything that happened during a world championship because obviously it yeah. means so much right and i suppose that the, the best part of this is now moving to the next year um and obviously, you know, we know what happened in the next year, but we'll get to it. We'll get to it. One of the questions I had as we kind of we walk back through your history here, right, is why didn't the team make a change? That is that is rare for a team to do not do that in the off season, especially back then. Um, so I'm I'm curious how come the this team that came you know top six at champs and a lot of players, a lot of players would have gone oh that's it i want a new squad for next year or you know but that team stuck your team's your team stuck back to back uh game wise um we were definitely good enough to win an event um it just seems like once we went from pierce to or once we went from gunless to clay it seems like we lost a little bit of ice um in like clutch scenarios like that but you know um we definitely could have won playoffs we definitely could have i mean we were the only team that could have beat optic at champs so it sucks we went out so early because they were just going to absolutely smoke everybody else which was the story of the year yeah um yeah so i mean we had faith we could still win an event um you know even even going into the next year we still could have won events it's just all really unfortunate (laughs) i think that's that's interesting like i said for me and this is obviously you know I say jaded, but I would like to also call it experience, right? I've been around Call of Duty Esports for a decade, and I know there are there are trends. But when I see a team that has had an average placement, way below what your expectations would have been, to, to stick together is is an anomaly, right? It's not something that usually happens. Um, and then I'm looking for this the, this year because there are a few interesting things. I don't actually remember what this event is. Uh, but we'll talk about Dallas. So Dallas, who came in fifth, six again. Um, at that point, was there any rumblings of, oh God, this is maybe not the team for me? Because I know it's hard in the professional capacity to not get a win, not come in a final, not get top three. Did anything happen like start of World War Two that started to put any stresses on the team? Um, I mean, no, because it, it kind of comes down to the same thing, like how we lost, like how close we were. I don't know if um anybody remembers how we lost that event but tk won that event obviously um we played them we played them in winners and we got uh five five last map we got collateral sniped on uss texas uh so we lost that game five round 11 and then they ended up winning the event obviously we got top six um if that round goes differently i feel like we we can win that event easily and you know just same thing like we're right there right there <laughs> we're right there pretty much every event that's another that's another great thing about call of duty history right is looking at it from a surface level top six 
not a great result for you know you as a player. But when you when you speak to players like yourself, you know that obviously first of all you lost to the winners, and what happened, right? There are, and I think this is this is definitely not covered enough, right, in Call of Duty right now in in, in the esports total. There is very little context some historic results there is usually just like <laughs> it's usually like oh this guy was just frying that year and that realistically if i'm being perfectly frank means fuck all um it doesn't give the context of you know personality traits what role were they playing what was the map pool like you know how deep was it who do they match up badly against like there are there are so many factors to this which is why i always like speaking to players about you know what happened back then because it's it's super curious to me how a team copes and moves forward with with losses and deals with adversity rather than just going yeah we were champions eight times that's that that's great but you're winning you're not learning um the next event i figured out what it is by the way it's the it's the northern arena which is the cinema event in canada i believe um yeah which is a really weird event that's why i couldn't remember it because I, I didn't go to it and i couldn't remember what on earth it was i just remember it being like a a red event in canada and you played luminosity in the final um you know, which is you know, which is a good team, especially at the time, right? Jcap, yeah. Octane Slacked. Um anything happened in, in that one? Um, I think I think we just got to the final I think uh we might have been in losers. I think we were in losers or something, and then we lost game five in the first best of five. So game five again, lost the team that won. Um <laughs> super unfortunate. <laughs> your uh your career is like I said, there are patterns. We are finding one. Um, which is which is interesting in itself. Now I'm going to collect these next few events together, right? Because fifth six, fifth six, um, all New Orleans, the Atlanta Open, stage one, CWL Birmingham. You crashed out top sixteen. But that's a big loss on the calendar. Um, and I, if I remember correctly, that may be the asterisk event with the weird monitors. Right? Correct. Yeah. So um, New Orleans. Uh, game five, round eleven, lost to TK again. They win the event. Um, going into Atlanta, um, there's some, there's some personal stuff going on with some people on our team. You know, we we may have may have broken some GAs during a match. Uh, <laughs> um, and then obviously, uh, yeah, it seems like at that Birmingham event with those monitors, all the AR players suffered really, really bad. I mean, we had we had Clay and Alec with like 0. 0.8, 0. 0.7, like so. That's definitely an asterisk event. Um, I, I don't put any full let's, blame on anything in that one. Let's take it while we while we're walking down this lane. Let's take a little tangent off into the world of GAs. Um, I've made argument, especially because you know you take the last year of GAs and the weirdness that happened during uh, the last game. <laughs> it's such a weird thing to explain to to people outside of our esport that essentially it's not the rules, but we all just kind of agreed to do it, and it's actually got worse over the years um, because not only are GAs now like a lot of things for pros, but it it resonates like pros will make GAs that technically don't exist and have had contracts signed against them um but that will be the official gas for the challengers and below and even in gbs right <laughs> like yeah. it's it's crazy to me how much of an impact they have um you said right there you guys may have broken a few gas like what do you feel about the ga situation at the moment how is it seen 
because it does seem like this it's it's essentially right now unfortunately no i don't think any pros have broken it recently it's always like that, that hanging sword over any team um i feel like it's needed to an extent unless like unless we have devs that are going to like daily or weekly take things out of the game that we need need out i feel like it's a really good thing to have um because you know, if if we don't agree to it, you could have a few teams that are just going to use it anyways, and then it makes crimson consistent, um, makes you worry about it in matches and things like that. Um, it it sucks we have to do that, but I it's just like needed. No, yeah, I, I can see that. I think I made I can't even remember if I released the video. I went in on it. I think the problem people have with GAs this year because this is a lot of the times GAs are are seen as a necessary evil by competitors and the community, right? And we accept it. We know it's ignored by everybody else because it has to be. It's kind of like an unofficial weird thing C-Sport has. This year, obviously, it came into the timeline. It went public. There were mass disagreements. I was fortunate enough to be in some discords with some professional players this year when GAs were being discussed outside of the actual group of captains. Um, and it seemed very vicious and toxic. Like, it was... It was not a clear-cut thing this year, and obviously that spilled over to the community knowing about it, and people accusing these pro players of knee-jerk reactions and essentially bad-faith GAing. Um, why do you think that is, and, and, and how does that get fixed in the future? Um, I mean, like, like I was saying, um, the be I mean, the best way to fix it is to, you know, have it fixed at the source, like... If we, you know, if there's something that needs to be out and we can get it actually removed and banned from the game, that's going to fix all these constant, you know, GA talks and trying to get things out of the game and everything else. And another thing, too, is that there's like bias on the GAs because if, let's say, you, uh, like a sub attachment is going to be banned, if your team's sub heavy and your sub players are your superstars, why would you ban these? You know, why would you want to get rid of these? And then a team that's AR heavy, they want to get rid of them and it's back and forth and a back and forth and it's, Really, yeah, but, really repetitive. But that, that's the issue, right? That's the issue that everybody's talking about is GAs, like I said, I do believe they are necessary at pipes because the developers don't... Developers are more hands-off in that regards because obviously we have a fast-changing meta, right? New Call of Duty, we don't get into competitive games and we have like an eight-month cycle. That's it. Rapid events, rapid meta changes, rapid GAs. It's all so quick turnaround when you look at any other esport. So... It has to happen from the players because the players can GA something now and it will be gone for scrims in the next tournament. Just gone. Done. It's a conversation, right? But yeah. that conversation, especially this year on the timeline, um, I, I, you know, I think I said it probably, I was disgusted by some of the attitudes of players that I saw because if you are, and obviously they're only doing it for the professional level, but if you're doing it, if you're doing something that is going to affect the esport, you know, the entire way down all players all results every level of the community and there isn't a logical reason behind it it's just a bad faith argument like i believe one of the arguments i took offense with was oh we've been playing with this meta all year let's just keep the meta even though the meta had actually changed because the guns had changed statistics right that for me didn't yeah. make sense like you can't say oh, we're saying, well if the guns have changed anyway then obviously the meta's changed regardless like it's it's a bad faith argument I'm fine with any GA being changed to promote competitive integrity and more consistent results. I'm not okay with a GA being changed to benefit one subset of people or because they don't like it in the game so far. 
uh, and I'll you know I'll take examples of this here, like the the Uzi and stuff. Well, if that was so powerful all year, why the fuck weren't people using it before the MP5 changed? Like it's it's really weird for me how, and because I'm scared it's going to happen again. The reason I don't like this because I'm scared it's going to happen again. There's no reason why it won't happen again because the system's the exact fucking same. I mean, you're you're definitely right in that aspect, and like. The reason nobody really, I don't think anybody had used that Uzi with those rounds beforehand because when the MP5 is already overpowered, what's the point in trying other guns, you know? And if the MP5 is not viable anymore, then everybody has to kind of try and find the next best overpowered gun. So that's kind of how it plays out. Always got to find the next best thing and then something else broken comes in and then just a vicious cycle. It, it, it just seemed to me like I don't see a lot of people running that Uzi. And I was just like, well, if that's. If the MP5 was that overpowered with 10 mil rounds, because here's the worst part of the GAs this year, by the way, is the 10 mil rounds weren't GA'd or weren't even up for topic of GA, this big fight that was had on the timeline, until after the MP5 had already been nerfed. Like that, yeah, That's what I, happened. The MP5 I got nerfed. <laughs> and then that come into the topic of, well, we've got to get rid of these as well. Like What happened so, for the last um... six months? Well, I think why that happened in the first place was because uh, the Uzi, the Uzi rounds were overpowered, and then the MP5 kind of just got thrown in with it as like ammo conversion. So they kind of just like grouped them together, which obviously the the Uzi rounds were way better than the 10 millimeter on the MP5. But you it just, know, it just seemed like for me at least, and and possibly that's where I think people lost faith in the process. Because it's a closed process anyway, right? People just accept the pros deliberations and hope for the best but then when you see professionals disagreeing publicly saying this is bullshit um that's when people lose faith in a system that only has faith right that's all ga has it has it has faith of the people to trust professionals to make these quick adjustments to to benefit everybody it's just it's just it's just an interesting thing thing for me and like I said, I just wanted to get your feelings on on GAs and and what you see the future of them, and because obviously I don't think there's ever going to be a rapid developer turnaround. I just don't ever see it. That's that's hopefully maybe. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's too hard to like, especially since you know we have a hard time making up our minds sometimes. I feel like it's kind of hard to get them in on it and like have them do quick changes like that. It kind of seems like more trouble than it's worth. Yeah. And not not only that, but obviously, you know, it has ramifications for the the other ninety nine percent of of COD players. You know, they don't, they they want to know why you know their guns are changing, and it turns out because you know some professionals are bloody good with it. Um, and that doesn't always translate to the main multiplayer. Like I remember, I remember talking in Ghost to a developer, and it's always the example I bring up is the Remington. The Remington was not in publics the most used assault rifle. It just wasn't. You know, it was there were a lot better spreads than other guns. It seemed pretty balanced that way, but all of pro players used it, right? That was the professional AR for good reason, you know, because it was very efficient at what it did. But if you nerf that or if you changed it, it takes a gun that's still not really being used a lot in the public space and basically makes it completely irrelevant. And obviously devs, devs don't want to do that. It is a, it is a double-edged sword. Yeah, I I didn't play too much ghosts. Um what what AR were they using if they weren't using the Remington? Um I'll be honest with you, I, I can't remember that entire dev conversation, but I do remember there being a talk by the developers about how they were surprised that that was the gun that they chose because they kn- the developers know what kills the quickest, they know what has the lowest basic recoil, they have all the statistics, right? 
and they said they knew it wasn't, you know, exceeding in any category. It didn't have the most ammo, it didn't kill in the fastest time, and it, you know, it had more recoil than some other ARs. So you've got all these other guns that have either lower recoil or higher TTK or, or better range or, or more ammo. And the pros weren't using those guns. They were using this gun, which was a little bit jack of all trades. Did only had 20 rounds, if I remember correctly. But because it had a combination of manageable recoil from a professional player, uh, it could hit hard and had very good range. You know, they, they used that instead. But if you're a casual player and you can't control, a, you know, a gun like a professional player, which a lot of us can't, um, I'll put myself in that bracket. It's fine. Um, and you probably want more ammo than 20 rounds because you aren't going to hit continuously. They don't use it. so It doesn't get used as much. And it's not as effective outside of the realms of the pros. So that's a lesson, that's a lesson I took from the developers going, he's right. That is that is a different thing. Like uh, I've joked before saying, when I watch professional players like yourself, right? <laughs> the, my guns do not work the same. My guns and your guns are not the same weapons, okay? Like, I watch you guys three bullet people and smash them, but I'm sitting there painting the scenery with bullet holes rather than the actual players. Um, yeah. And that's just something I think that people still underestimate about professional players. Like, this looks, it looks flashy and it looks good. But the actual, because Call of Duty's always been said to have a low skill curve, and in some ways, yeah, because anybody can kill anybody. But when you notice it, when you notice the actual skill of professional players that can shoot at that level, it's mind blowing. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely um a lot different in that like gap, like you know, same thing too. Like if real life friends kind of ask me like for my class because my <laughs> class looks so good, and then they use it, they're like, damn, like I'm not, you know, I'm not getting all the kills that you are. It's just. You know, it's a little bit different. I, I kind I, I disagree to an extent with the whole like. I, I think there's a pretty decent skill gap, not just in terms of like gun skill, but in terms of just like positioning and setting up and things like that. Like, obviously, that takes a lo long time for people to like get used to and get good at. Yeah. But um, everybody uh, can't kill everybody at some point or another, you know. Yeah. No, I, I can, I, I agree with that. It was more my going to point like it's uh, the well said thing about the skill curve in Call of Duty can be somewhat minimalized especially at a professional level right we're talking small decision making i've always said right i consider one of the biggest thing at uh, a professional level uh is decision making and then up there's probably positioning and comms right because you know as well as i know every professional player can shoot they can all manage their recall very very well and they all snap very very well there are some exceptional talents that just seem to have incredible centering and constantly do it but by and large <laughs> a bad pro is still way better than anybody else right it's it's just yeah. it just is um and then when you put into the competitive factor it gets even worse like you, you i can't read the game in game like a pro can out of the game i can cast oh hindsight and i've got a fucking cold caster i know what i should be doing here right like i know you should be rotating but in game i'm like a fucking lost rabbit gun holy crap where are they spawning you know and yeah and it's but as a pro that's second nature to you and you're making those micro decisions over and over again, which is why Call of Duty are referred to as a twitch shooter. It's incredibly fast reflexes and basically micro decisions. You know, you're, you're tracking the other players, and that's why. And we'll tangent again here. We'll talk about 5v5 to 4v4. It's one of the reasons I think 4v4 is better because it makes a more consistent ability to track the teams and players and engage and make a more influential play. Than just in five v five, which is just sprint, trade, slide, right? Um, but anyway, what what do you think of the five v five to four v four? 
Um, five, five to 44. Um, I feel like if we were going to do 44, it probably should have been at the beginning of the franchise league. I don't know <laughs> yes. what the point was of staying five v five. Um, I kind of, it's, I don't know. <laughs> them, them, them kind of like trying to follow like the kind of like a counter-strike type model with like five players, but I, I mean, whatever. I, I don't think, I don't think either five v five COD game played well. Um, I think it was kind of a little much to watch. And on top of that too, in 5v5, like you just have a lot of just people running around getting kills and like winning them games. In 4v4, your life is a lot more valuable. And you know, there's one less person to get your trade. So I feel like there's a lot more thought that goes into it. Um, although I don't think switching to 4v4 right now, like during a pandemic was the best thing to do. Yeah. I think it should have been pushed back another year, if anything. But I, I don't think cutting... Uh, 20% of the jobs during a pandemic was the best thing for most people. Certainly wasn't fun. For, I don't know that much. One of those ones where you're like, well, I've struggled to make it into the top minute percentile of all players. And now it's a lot harder, especially, you know, some teams are looking at the amateur scene and go, well, I could take a good amateur rather than the pro. And I can, and, and basically it's, here's the weird thing. And I don't know how much the community knows this or you have from the background but it's been a bit of a race to the bottom with some professionals because the first year salaries were bloody good in in the in the cdl very very good um and then this year on average obviously some players have, have re-signed on the current contract it has it has gone down significantly and i'm not going to ask you about your own team or whatever but it's it's mad it, it's bad obviously i can't imagine how stressed the the discord conversations you've had with pro players and I imagine there's been a lot of talk in the background amongst just players themselves about holy crap, this is this is stressful. Um, yeah, I have I have heard it's, it went down quite a bit, but I mean, you know, we're we're playing a video game, and the amount of money we're making, you can't. I feel like you can't really be mad about. Yeah, it's just like the only thing is, it's like obviously we're all competitive with each other, and hearing that your peers are making you know substantially more than you on certain teams, kind of yeah. Oh, he sucks for some people, but you know, I'm not too worried about it. Um, I'm, I'm, ha I was happy last year with what I was making. I'm happy this year with what I'm making. So, you know, no complaints for me. That's, that's, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Like, it's a, it's like I said, it's been, a, it's been a super interesting uh, off season. And I'm gonna go back to your career now because if we go down this route anymore, I'm gonna have to ask you about your team change, and we need to get, we need to get to the present before we can talk about that, right? Um, so where we left off was was basically stage so here's here's the thing and this is why i really want to speak to you about this year right and i don't want you to take offense from what i'm going to say next but how the fuck did you win that world championship because that's essentially where we're going right seattle open you left e united you went to eg and you did come second at the seattle open right mm -hmm. very good start for a team it's always said that a team I think it was actually Jcap that said this. He says, by and large, you know, a team needs to make a final on their first run out if you think they're going to win a championship. Right? And if you look at it, he's not wrong. It statistically happens more often than not. Um, but obviously, after some bad results, you ended up leaving EG and going to e uh, United and going to EG. Take me through that that team change period before we go to the to the. Um... So uh, I wasn't even aware I was getting dropped until I heard it from the person that was replacing me in the first place. Oh, <laughs> um, I, I heard I heard talks of it a little bit. Um, obviously, um, there's more that goes into it, but uh, EG is like the only team that's making a change. So 
you know, naturally, as soon as I got dropped off United, um, when the tens dropped 50, every single map for a week straight, um, uh, the, the old way of getting picked up. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, pretty much like there's obviously like issues on our United team, but I'm on a team of twins in Clayster who has a million followers. So, I mean, it, it, like it's, it's a no brainer. I'm the odd man out. So get on the EG and, uh, you know, we were, we were good. Um, Definitely, you know, obviously like playing with all of them or else I wouldn't play with them again. And, you know, we we ended up having that little dry spell in the middle part of the end of the season, but we got yeah. it all figured out. Yeah. Our S&D was actually so good. Um, we had all these smokes that we used that by the time the league came around, everybody had learned all of our smokes and was executing our own strats against us. So we had a huge like S&D dry spell because we didn't have any new stuff. Okay. That's so, you know, it's kind of... Yeah, you you can you can pull up vods from uh from Seattle, watch our search, and then watch vods of other teams from the next events, and we literally got all of our strats ripped right off of us. And uh, no, that makes I mean great. that makes a lot of sense, right? Because obviously you went from second to top sixteen, um, yeah, and then ninth to tenth, stage two, which was if I remember correctly was a weird thing. Like it wasn't even that far away. I was actually a month away from the, the world championship, but I so I know I was at this world championship. I know that you guys were not on. All right, the the radar. You were not on the radar of any analyst or professional or whatever for winning this event. And I, I remember sitting in the final watching it going, I don't actually know how EG have got here. I haven't watched a lot of their events so far. <laughs> They're just in the grand final right? and nobody had predicted it. Like nobody. So let's let's jump into that because it's a very important. You are a world champion. Let's, oh. let's jump into that event. So basically, uh, us not qualifying for playoffs was kind of a blessing. It gave us a ton of time to reinvent all of our search stuff, uh, kind of prepare for all the teams that we're going to play. Um, came back with all new S&D stuff. I think we maybe lost like two S&Ds or something through that entire event, three maybe. Um, S&D was perfect. We, uh, we had a bad run in our pools in the first place. We lost to a team we shouldn't have lost to, which put us in a really bad spot. Had a 3-0 optic and knocked them out to win. If they won one map, we were out of the tournament. Boom, 3-0 yeah. them. <laughs> I remember that. Was we, one, uh, of the, one of the aches curses. That was uh, yeah. always interesting. And then uh, we kind of breezed through until top six. Um, went down 2-0 against Envy. Reverse swept them. Um, played TK for, what was it, top three. Yeah. Um, beat them. And then we ended up playing them in the grand final. Lost our first best of five. Won the second best of five with ease. And boom. <laughs> world champion yep. was that was that like uh at what point in that tournament because it's always because whenever you say a player are oh, we always going to win it it's you're always going to win but was there a point in the world championship where you thought we are clicking this is going to fucking work oh yeah definitely i mean the first the first time we played tk we thought we were going to win um after reverse swept envy we thought we were going to win i think the only doubt we had that entire event was when we had a 3-0 optic and even in that case, once we won the hard point, we knew we were winning this. They weren't going to beat us in search, and they weren't going to beat us in four CTF. So once they blew, and that wasn't even like a an extremely, extremely strong map for us in the first place, Gibraltar, and we beat them on that. So it was it was over from that point on. I remember. I, by the way, I remember that, and I remember the absolute chaos backstage when you guys did it because people were like, obviously, Optic, massive brand for Call of Duty, um, and you guys put them out in the groups. By the way, first time it happened, people were people were losing their freaking minds 
over the fact that that had happened to, like I said, the biggest brand in Call of Duty. You know, it was suddenly like, oh shit, we've just lost a good 30,000 or probably 30% of our potential peak viewership um, when that team ended up dropping out. But I'm guessing, you know, it's... Do you think that game specifically, because it is one of the more famous games of Call of Duty history, do you think that they were probably under a lot of stress themselves? Do you think pressure was really on them, knowing they had to win a map as well? Or, and you took advantage of that? Or were you under a lot of pressure? Like, what, what was the feeling when you sat down to play that team? Um, we, we knew how good we were. And we, we literally just didn't want to go out like that. Obviously, they were under a ton of pressure. Um, obviously, like the worst year you've seen from Scump. Um, they had a kind of new team. Um, I'm sure they knew, too, once they lost that hard point, they were, they were in serious, serious trouble. And, you know, we wouldn't even be having this talk right now if we hadn't 3 would them there. So that's just a prime yeah. example. Like, we would have just went out in groups and it would have been whatever. Cool Optic got in, you know, they got through groups and it wouldn't have mattered because we got knocked out. So, you know, we had to do it to them. Uh, <laughs> kind of make a you know make people remember that match make people remember that event so yeah no uh, yeah, 100% like I said it's, it's such an interest so winning a world championship it's it is the biggest thing you can do as a Call of Duty player you go down as a ring bearer one of the very few your name can never be forgotten or erased over or anything because everybody knows the world champions right in Call of Duty and I was asked this question recently by other industry experts and i said how important is the world championship in call of duty and i went way more important than you think it would be every event during the year will pale in comparison to cod champs by a serious degree now you've put yourself in a position to win a world championship silly what was it like actually playing in that grand final knowing what's at stake um, I mean, it was it was awesome. Um, the fact that we even got there in the first place, we're really excited about. And I feel like the pressure was a lot more on TK than it was on us because they were expected, you know, to smoke us. Like, yeah, especially <laughs> after they won the first best of five, they were expected to smoke us. Um, and on top of that, too, they had momentum on their side and we went into their best map in the first best of five and they just kind of came out flat. Um, you know, the, the confetti hitting your face is definitely a really good feeling. You know, a lot of people... There's a lot of it as well. It's, that was a particularly big confetti explosion. I remember that. I've got pictures from the crowd. Um, yeah, and that, that's awesome. As long as you're not, you know, getting second place and getting hit by it, I guess it's really fun to be a part of. Was it... What was the, uh, was the afterglow like then? Because obviously I've never won a world championship myself, so I can't really attest to, to what it's like. But all of a sudden you are the very focal point of everything Call of Duty Esports. All the social media, all the fans, all the interviews, all Call of Duty's media and PR machines. What I could ask you this. What actually happens when you win a world championship? So the game ends, you've won it. Are you then, like, is, does somebody usher you into the right places? Are you, are you, do you practice for the, for the trophy? Like, what actually happens from end of game for the next, I don't know, hour? Um, you basically get taken around to do different kinds of media, um, meet with people. Um, we obviously had a meet up. We we met up with our uh, wives, girlfriends right after we won, and then went to the back. But um, yeah, you kind of just get dragged around everywhere because everybody <laughs> wants wants pictures of you guys and everything, pictures with the trophy and pictures with the ring. Um, definitely a really cool experience. You know, I'd like to uh, do it again someday. Hopefully on hopefully on land if it ever returns. That's interesting. That's that's always interesting. I always I always um. So I I know from my point of view, 
uh, I think it was that stage as well. I had to do stand-in. So they do practice. The production does practices for the finals, right? Like it's all it's all done in their mind with marks. And you, when you guys walk out, that's all practiced. I was one of the guys because our re our rehearsals ended earlier. That had to go stand in and pretend to be a player and do a player walkout and all this shit for that uh, for that for that stage. Um, so it's always curious to me. Like I'm always sitting there going, "What if a player, you know, drops the trophy or picks it up too soon?" Or because they all try to hit. Uh, obviously, I don't know if you know if this is from a player point of view, but they they do specific things at specific times. Like players are supposed to, as a team, go to the trophy and then lift it up, and then pyrotechnics goes off, and the casters are supposed to hit the same beat, like, you're supposed to do, um, how do I explain this from a production point of view? When you lift the trophy, that's when the call is made. So, when you hit the world champions, evil, and that's, that's it's all supposed to go together, right? Problem is, is, you know the casters, you know the production team, and you know the stage. We don't know is who is going to win at that time, and what they are going to do when it all occurs, and and obviously, you know, from your point of view, I'm guessing some of it, you probably, you know, in your memory is a little bit blurry or a little bit of a haze because the adrenaline's pumping. You've got thousands of screaming fans, confetti's going off in your face, a lot of noise, and it's one of the best moments of your life. So uh, for me, it's, it's obviously something I'll never experience, but it's always cool to hear, you know, the players' points of view of, of what they were thinking during that time. Um, We were, we were kind of just... Uh... I don't. I don't know. I was just kind of ready to pick up the trophy, which is very heavy. I might add, it <laughs> might uh, it's very possible to drop. You definitely drop it on someone's head, or just drop it in general. That'd probably be really uh, hurt the moment a little bit. You know, if you dropped and it broke or something. But uh, we were just super excited. Um, <clears throat> you know, to prove everybody wrong, and you know, Adam's first championship was a world championship, and he got the MVP. So it was probably even <laughs> even better for him. But. Yeah, it's just uh, the best feeling in the world being a COD player, you know? Yeah. And like I said, obviously, it is the be-all and end-all competitive Call of Duty. It just is. Um, one of the interesting fact about that trophy, uh, from what I understand, and I think I read this somewhere, there's like 60 to 80 grand's worth that trophy, which is why nobody got to take it home. It's like a, It was like designed by somebody, and all the stuff that's in it is so crazily expensive, which is why they started just... Um, putting the names on it obviously it's gone now i don't know what's happened to it it's probably somewhere in activision's head office uh because obviously we've moved on to the the cdl trophy which is much more manageable for them um but yeah that trophy is supposedly crazy expensive uh i know when they first unveiled it we all messed around with it they put it in a in a, in a little room and everyone went and took pictures with it but yeah that's why nobody's like supposed to touch it or mess with it at all they, yeah, they even have a guy designated free. to cleaning it, like at events. There's already somebody who's supposed to make sure that trophy is clean. Yeah, I mean, it, it is pretty sweet looking. I could definitely see that. Uh, I guess at this point, then, we have to talk about moving on to Black Ops 4, where you admittedly uh, ended up changing teams. What, what, what happened? <laughs> what oh, it? going from uh, EG to Envy? Yeah. Um, pretty much we, we couldn't get a fifth that we wanted onto EG. Um, EG was a great org to us. We liked being on EG. We would have liked to stay on, e stay on EG. Um, we just couldn't get a fifth that we wanted. We wanted like a fast sub player and all the good fast sub players we wanted were all locked down on teams. So, you know, ultimately we had to, had to go somewhere to get the fifth we wanted. That makes sense. That makes, that makes, a, that makes a good amount of sense here. Um, Obviously, as, as we go into it, and the, the very first event of Black Ops 4, Las Vegas Open, 
Great event, by the way. Um, not so much for you guys, obviously, top 12. Um, was that just teething issues with the team or or kind of what happened to... Was it a meta change? Was it just Black Ops 4? Like, how did you feel going into Black Ops 4 with this squad and, and what happened? Um, I feel like going into Black Ops 4 after playing World War II all year was kind of just like... Not great. Um, it was definitely really fast for the team we had, and I feel like Kyler or Hugh was definitely on like a different pace than the rest of us. So it definitely, uh, we're definitely a little offbeat a lot of the time. Yeah, I can, I, I can see that, right? I can see, you know, your your results never really picked up until maybe CWL London, I think, because Fort yeah. Worth was the same story, you know, at top twelve. What went better at London? Because I can see a team change here, <laughs> which does seem to be a pattern with yeah. your with your career. So going from uh, Fort Worth to to London, talk me through it. Um, basically, Fort Worth to London. Um, I mean, we had we had a team change, nice little honeymoon period. Um, you know, we were we were good for that event. Um, Decimate definitely played really well that event to help us out. Um, Pharaoh was doing good too. And then we, you know, I think after that event, we ran into the same kind of issues. We had some personality issues, people clashing with each other. And, you know, being like me being the person that's never involved in any of these like player issues is really annoying because I'm on the outside of it. And it directly yeah. affects me when people are fighting with each other or don't like each other. So it just kind of sucks. Yeah, I, I can get let, let's talk a little bit. I'm going on another tangent again as we walk through your career. Um. Let's talk about interpersonal team issues because clearly you've had some over the years. Most pro players have, um, and it goes to varying degrees. What do you, what do you think of like, especially the new generation uh, where we have more coaching staff, more you know infrastructure, more professionals to speak to out of it, and obviously pros are even held to an even higher standard now than they were a year ago. Um, do you think it's going to get better? How have you dealt with it in your career? Are there any notable ones that have happened that you can talk about? Um, man, uh, there's there's too many to even count, to be honest. Um, I, I'm I, I don't want to name players because I don't <laughs> want them to see, see that. But on on every one of the teams we've talked about, there's been some kind of clash between players, and it's never been me, and it's never been with Adam, um, and it's never been with Alex. So it's always <laughs> there's always some little feud between players going on that's caused a loss or two or a bad event or two at one time or another um it, it just always happens uh it's happened a lot what happened specifically so <laughs> so is it a chicken or egg thing like what happens first is it the conflicts that cause the loss or is it loss that causes the conflicts um it's the conflicts it's usually conflicts that cause a loss i've lost i've lost maps I, I I lost the series one time where I was up 2-0 because people started bickering about one play. Um, <laughs> oh, I've no. lost an SMD map up 5-1 <laughs> because somebody made a different play. Like it, it's mind blowing stuff, but it still happens. Um, definitely not fun. It, it usually is something little that just tilts somebody, and then it just evolves into this like huge thing. And <sighs> do you think do you think that could uh that'll that'll get better now that there's support staff to maybe take the weight off into player conflicts and stuff because that's something that people have been talking about recently is realistically players should you know the the coaches are trying to do more in terms of solving disputes and also bringing it down to let's talk about this at a professional level in vod review rather than you just calling this guy names during it because obviously people get very defensive when called out by another player 
always happens, right? It doesn't matter, doesn't matter what player it happens to. If I'm doing well and I see you make a misplay, then I'm just going to say something to you. Won't be helpful. Probably won't be constructive. Um, but I'm pro- I'd say if I'm a if I'm a fiery pro player, obviously not. Um, but I, I just find it, especially this year. I mean, it still happened. It still happened in Modern Warfare. I know it did. I've heard it has uh, with multiple teams. But it should technically be getting better. Um, with with coaches, it should be getting better. Doesn't mean it's like going to for sure because obviously you can't make people like each other. Yeah. Um, and you know, if you have two people that dislike each other, you know, what are you supposed to do? Do do you bench them both or like? Well, te- technically, you know, if like... I'm be if I'm being perfectly frank here, then <laughs> and this is going to sound harsh, but it's not directed at you, just pro players in general. It's your job. Get on with it. Like that. That's yeah. that's the truth of the situation. I, I being paid a lot of money here. I don't. If if you're a franchise, I don't give a shit if you like each other. Personally, honest with you, I care about whether or not you can play and win and do the stuff I need you to do. And I think players at some point have to realize that you're that spats and personal friendships don't mean anything compared to results and, and what you need to do for your job. Yep. And, you know, with, with some players, they're aware of that, that you stick it out and try and win with your teammates. But some people definitely let their uh, personal thoughts of people um, factor in in a lot of their decision-making. Yeah. So, you know, maybe maybe someday everybody will be on the same page. But as of now, I I don't think that's happening. No, I can. Uh, I I I say that. Yeah, it it'll get better. I have faith that it'll get better, um, as it becomes more normal place to to essentially not have control of the team because that was always one of the one of the issues, right? Is that players make teams and therefore if if players don't get along, then they're making the team. So it's always going to be a a bit of a cluster. But I'm hoping that once it once uh, it kind of goes away from that, it'll get a bit better. But we have to move on now, unfortunately, to the end of your Black Ops Four season. Um, and they say, unfortunately, because it wasn't a good time for for you. at least placings, right? Anaheim went badly, and it didn't improve to the World Championship. But we'll take on Anaheim first. After London, you were flying high. What happened? Teammates hated each other by the time Anaheim came around. <laughs> that ties in. That ties into the topic quite nicely. Um, I uh, I had told my fiance not to go to Anaheim. I was like, don't go oh, to Anaheim. Wow. There's literally. I was like, just don't go to the event. It's not going to go well. Is that I had already knew with how things were going in scrims that it was not going to go well. Jesus, that I mean, that is a bold statement to go into an event with. I um, mean, another thing, man. People, just people going at it that can't get over it, and that's what happens. So that was essentially chalked before, way before you even got there. Like, and I'm, and obviously we now move on to another world championship. Always a great point of conversation. It didn't improve by the sound. Is that is that what happened? Because it was two months between Anaheim and the world championship. Was this was this conflict still going on? Was you know? Um, well, the, the conflict was resolved, but we had we had a newer team. Um, I in in the mix of like around like Miami and champs. I kind of I, I was trying to go to another team. Um, wasn't allowed to. Uh, kind of got stuck on my team, and then we were looking for players to pick up because we needed someone to run a grapple saw because obviously Hugh went displaced. Yeah. Um, so we ended up keeping one of our players, and then I somehow got finessed. I, I was I was probably the best Maddox on our team. I somehow got finessed, finessed into running a grapple saw for champs. Um, a lot of players, a lot of players, by the way, when I spoke about this, don't like running that grapple saw. It was not. It's not a favorite of players. 
I should not have been the one baiting on that team by any means. Um, by any means at all, I should not have been baiting for anybody. Um, but I was, and ultimately, you know, we, we pretty much had a free road to top six at that mm-hmm. champs and we blew it. We lost game five to units. So kind of like blew our run. We could have breezed through the top six. We had beat rack and pools. Like we were, we were on a decent track when we just messed it up. So that's how, how it goes. Yeah. The whole I, year of people going at it with each other is kind of how it goes. Yeah. Uh, and I suppose now we can, we can finally move on to the most present season. Okay. We'll get out of this. Obviously, Rostermania happened in a massive way. Everybody basically went, you know, we were we going to go somewhere new. You went to the Rockier. Uh, Minnesota Rockier. Looked like a great team. You guys, you guys kind of made, certainly made an impression um, because people liked the branding. People liked everything about them. People liked the fact you had the, the very first event. The, people liked even like the, the owner. People like Gary V. I was a big fan of Gary V uh, going into it. But let's talk about that team being built and, and how that all occurred for you. And, uh, and generally, you know, are you happy with it? What happened? You know, why, why that team? Um, Rocker, Rocker is a great org. Um, was happy to represent them. Uh, in terms of team building, me, Goderex, and Assault kind of went over there together in the first place. And then we're just looking at what kind of subs we wanted. So we ended up getting Asim and Alex based on like everybody that was on the market. Yeah. Um, obviously, good team on land, good team in the beginning of the year. Um, with the online switch, I think some people were kind of expecting it to go back to regular events. Um, obviously, it didn't. Uh, feel like there was a little bit of lack of effort in terms of like playing online or practice after that. Um, obviously, it picked up towards the end of the year, but we kind of just never recovered from a bad online start, like obviously after the Dallas event. Uh-huh. And, you know, playing from Minnesota when other teams are in Texas and wherever else definitely isn't ideal. And, you know, we just, um, a lot of, like a a lot of teams, if I had to like say one thing is that people tend to play a lot more confident when they're at home rather than an event because people are worried about making a mistake, you know, is it going to cost them like, you know, don't play super, super fast when everybody's at home, you know, their mom's bringing them breakfast or in their room, nice and confident. Uh Um, they tend to just sprint and try and gun everybody. And with our team pretty much having two main ARs made us get outpaced by literally everyone we played yeah i mean being perfectly honest you can kind of see exactly what happened uh you know when it all went down uh just on the on, on the spreadsheet of, of where you've placed but rocky like i will say this right looking at the first few events people were unsure roughly how your team was going to go right stocks weren't super high for the rocky but soon as those events started to start right justin it was Everyone was like, holy shit, this is a this is a bloody good team. This is a team we want to keep an eye on. This is the team that we are hyping up. You know, you had a couple of top three finishes, a couple of top two finishes. Um, and obviously there is just a <laughs> and it's it sucks to say this, but as you could you could tell exactly when it switched, right? As soon as it switched, um, things just started to go badly for you. Did this did this put any pressure on you as players or the team? Was there frustrations aired out? Because obviously, you know, COVID's hit. You now don't have the opportunity to go face-to-face. Everything, the whole world has changed. The whole world is is basically in chaos, uh, essentially. You know, obviously, not, it's not fires in the street, but it is, it is very, very, you know, chaotic uh, all over the place, and things have changed dramatically. Was the, what were the feelings in the camp? Um, there was definitely frustrations, kind of just like, 
trying to pinpoint issues and figure out what's going on. Um, you know, it definitely like, even when we, uh, ended up like replacing GodRx, I don't think it was a, it definitely wasn't a one person issue. Um, there was a lot of issues that went into how we were playing and I feel like it just like, we would improve and fix something and then it would happen again. It was just like such a bad cycle of things. I, I've never dealt with anything like that in my life. Um, the ability for us to improve on things was pretty much non-existent through the last half of the year. Was that part of the, the players? Do you think like, do you think that could have been better? Like if, if you'd all managed to, to pull together in one direction or do you think that maybe it was one of these ones where, cause I have no players to do this, just chalk it essentially. Just like, oh, I don't know if I should put in full effort here. And it's easy to do when you're at home, right? Because like you said, there isn't, there isn't the same onus on, you know, I have to sit there and look at this guy in the face. I'm at home talking to him for a microphone. Very easy to be confident when you are that person. Um, yeah, there's definitely a chance that happened, but I mean, is anybody actually going to say that? No. <clears throat> so you kind of just wonder if they're mentally checked out or if they're actually just getting smoked or if there's a reason they're getting smoked or reason they're putting in less effort. It's kind of just like the entire time just trying to pinpoint issues and there's no way to actually confirm if he, you know, that's actually what's going on or not. How was it? How did the team try to deal with this then about, you know, not having good results? Were there extra VOD reviews? Did you guys sit down and try to change uh, pacing or figure out to deepen the map pool like what was the process especially at a professional level to start trying to overcome this this bad run because at this point at some point you, there must have been a realization it's like oh crap we are probably like a top eight team at the moment or a top six team at best right and that's never um, what you want to be in a 12 person league we i mean we did everything um <coughs> we did vods every night um we watched over different POVs of gameplay, had different people stream, watched it back. Um, we really just like, once we felt like we fixed one thing, just, there was just another issue and it was just never ending. Um, all kinds of VODs. We went over everybody's like POVs. We expanded our map pool. We changed up our maps. We changed, you know, we switched around roles and just literally just coun't get any better. So just how it goes. Yeah, I can, I can kind of say that. And I suppose... Like the, the the problem is with the homestand series, obviously it's a very different format. Um but, you know, the as we kind of move on now to to the crowning of the, you know, modern warfare season, essentially, the world championship, it is the time for redemption. It is the time where teams because essentially if you do well there, then the rest of the team can be fine. Right. The rest of the year can be fine. I think uh, the Ravens, you know, had a big uptick at the end because they came forth at champs. Um unfortunately kind of not what happened uh for you guys at the world championship obviously things had to to change for the world championship it was not a normal world championship in anybody's mind but i am curious did at any point did it feel like the same feeling as as previous world championships did you get any of that like holy shit this is the big one um i did but i even from our first match the the things we had to do wrong for us to lose literally just were like a punch in the stomach like I, I could not believe at the end of the game after we've all been playing the same game for this long these are the plays we're still making and i was just like wow like <laughs> it, it, it was impossible for us to learn how to do things differently and i literally was just like it was just painful it's a pain definitely the my the least amount of fun i've had in any world championship i've played in for sure yeah 
I, I can see how that would be frustrating, right? Because it, they, you don't, as a pro player, you don't know how many world championships you're going to get. Like you just don't. And it is the the pinnacle of it. Like you, if you get to play in five or six, that's a bloody good result um, as, for a career. And you don't want to waste any single one of them because any single one of them could be another ring. And like I said, as soon as you get that second ring, that's even more godhood status. Um, and if you get three, of course, then <laughs> you join the, the very few. Um, but that kind of, it kind of started off really weird for the Rocket, right? Because they looked fantastic. You guys looked great. You, the Rocket brand went fucking bananas. People love the team. They love the branding, everything about it. And then it basically looked fell off a fucking cliff pilot you know it just it was was that from your point of view more than anything else was that something that stressed you out more because I, I here's another thing that i've been looking at recently uh you know uh, pro players girlfriends on the timeline you know they, they don't leak a lot of information but they sometimes give you an insight into what that player is feeling what was the feeling for you in terms of like dealing with that on a day-to-day -day basis not winning not having good results and, you know, the feedback from socials and stuff. Oh, man, that's, I mean, it's got to be the worst, the worst year by far for, for me to deal with. Um, being, being away from home and, you know, feeling like I'm trying to do more for the team than other people are to try and make us better and nothing changing and just, you know, at least when you have events, you can go to an event and like hope like everybody gets in the same mindset and you can kind of fry, but yeah. When you're in the same repetitive cycle playing online every day and nothing is changing, it was literally like mental torture. I'm gu I'm guessing it's much harder to progress or practice because I've always said one of the things you need to like practice. Like ten hours of practice is great, but 10, 10 hours of good practice is better. Um, yeah. And that can be difficult here. I suppose it's one of these things like even with the the structure that players have had this year. I suppose if you can't get somebody to to click in and, and take it on because you are just on a discord playing the game you know old school stuff rather than the, the facilities and that um it, it must just be frustrating he must be like i can't fucking do anything here short of sending a hitman around of this guy's house there's not a lot i can do yeah i mean you really you really can't um there's there's not much you can do and on top of that like your practice you're just like sitting at a setup every day and then when you go play the tournament, you're also just sitting at a setup again. So it's like you go from a scrim to a more important scrim, and it's just kind of, kind of a weird feeling. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hundred percent, I hundred percent, I, I get that, I get that. Um, and also, I got to say, double sets because I was very excited to see more of the Rockier facilities. I don't know how much of that was done by the time you were were there and stuff, because there was a big kind of uh, noise made about the facilities, and obviously. The Rockets share uh, an ownership with the Vikings, and I'm like, "Wow, this is going to be great! They're going to have NFL stuff. They know how to do this shit, right?" Um, was any of that done before COVID ruined everything? Oh yeah, it was done at the beginning of the year. Okay. Um, we actually at, at the first event we were bringing teams over the facility to scrim. Um, you know, so that was definitely cool. That was like the only other teams we ever had in there was like before Minnesota. So it sucks we didn't get to use it with other teams more as like a land kind of thing, like yeah. land practice, but so cool. Was that a, was that a, like a preferred thing for you? Like having that sort of facility to go to, having um, the ability to go, well, this is now a professional workplace. We've got, but take me through what, what, what was in the facility? Because there's a lot of people saying, oh, we've got a facility now, which could just be four or five setups and some consoles, right? That's that could be a facility. People would call that a facility. But what goes into a facility 
in your mind and, and what did rock air do um so our facility we basically uh we have our giant scrim room there's 10 setups yeah wall to wall um there's like a media room where we get like pictures taken and stuff like that we have a giant theater room um we have all the office stuff of the like the employees that work there like all their stuff right outside of there we have a kitchen we have a big like lobby area with like a tv and couches and stuff we have a player lounge in the back we've got a locker room um bunk beds in there so there's bunk beds uh, in there yeah, it's it's, it's cool. <laughs> hey, you're in you're in Minnesota, man. You get snowed in or something. Oh, you're there okay. late. That, you get snowed, and that it's makes dark. more sense. I, I was like, yeah. well, players just going for naps during the day. So that'd be that'd be great. Oh yeah, they day. they've definitely been utilized by uh by certain people for sure. I've seen them, seen people sleeping in there. Any of what? Any of your teammates or just uh, other people in the facility? Yeah, it, even even exceed. Uh, I think like one of the last times we we're there, he's taking a little nap in there. Oh, that's see that I like, right? That that is the next level of Call of Duty professionalism for me, is having the ability to make pro players more focused by actually having good quality of life. Because sitting in a chair and like you know the old the old stuff, like sitting in a gaming chair for ten hours, twelve hours a day, you get up at four PM, you go to bed at four AM, wonder why everyone's tired and you're just smashing caffeine down your face. Right, and you never go outside. All that, like the stereotypical old Call of Duty grind, hated it. This sounds like a much healthier way of doing things with segregated areas, places for players to actually relax rather than just say, sitting in the same chair watching YouTube videos. Um, and I'm, and I'm guessing, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'm guessing it was probably a better experience for you as well. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Um, it's enjoyable to like scrim the same place every day um i feel like you definitely get a lot more done you don't have to worry about people like sitting at home being on their phones or dozing off when you're going over stuff you can kind of see everybody and what they're doing and make sure everybody's paying attention um and especially with like criticism if you can like see how people are talking to you you know maybe people won't be so on like the defense yeah when they're when people are talking to them that's always a plus too no i yeah i 100 percent agree with that i i can I can vouch for that myself as well. I know I've had heated arguments with people online through a microphone that just wouldn't have happened face-to-face because body language is a big thing and you can kind of de-escalate a lot quicker and say, hey, look, let's actually just work together on this and move. Right? Like, we're here. We've got to be here for the next four hours. We're working on something. And obviously, I think that will help. I'm looking forward to it. I hope every team has a really good facility. I hope they do good work with it. I still want to see more sports nutritionists in. and. I guess uh, now we we need to talk about your your team change and the off season in a little bit more depth because we have come right up to the very present time. Uh, off season, obviously, Rocky making some changes. We went from five five to four before, and a lot of teams took this opportunity to basically just pull the ripcord. Um, you said it was stressful. How uh, how stressful were we talking? <laughs> I mean, it's it was extremely stressful. There's obviously like, there's probably like 40 players fighting for like, like even right now, there's literally probably 30, 30 or so players fighting for like whatever five to seven spots are left. It's just like, it doesn't get more stressful than that. Um, you know, and your your stock is kind of determined by how your team does. And especially another reason I don't like 5v5 I could have four people doing their best. And if I have one person that's kind of slacking off a little bit, it's going to hurt all of us. I feel like it's a little easier to manage in 4v4. Um, You know, but um, 
but five people is just too many people to manage and that's too many people to have to be on the same page um so you know hopefully have another you know my last two 44 years have been good hopefully another good 44 year keep my stock you know nice and higher up <laughs> and uh don't ever have to go through an off season like that ever again no i, I can say that obviously you know um you're no team uh apathy assault vivid and yourself uh i have i have to ask this how does it feel going into the la gorillas because you know the greatest of first years right that organization had a few issues um player wise People weren't entirely on the branding. There's two LA teams. I mean, fortunately, the other LA team was also kind of hated brand-wise because they had the the cursed brand, which may be the better brand again. We'll get to that later on. But it, it, if you're going to the, into a team like this with a history and a pedigree and you know that you have to basically build it back up, is there any like pressure on you from that regard of, okay, this this franchise, you know, it needs essentially like defibrillating. It needs restarting and bringing it back to life. Um, I mean, it's, it's only up from here for LAG. Like, obviously like they finished 12th. Um, we're going to go up from there regardless. So kind of not super worried about it. Um, obviously they pretty much pulled the plug on their entire roster as well. The only person they kept is Vivin. He was their, you know, their hardest worker, their S and D superstar. So I feel like, uh, you know, we're not super worried about it. We're just excited to, uh, you know, hopefully give them some hope. I, I, it's good. I, I have noticed you've stuck with a very similar color scheme as well. Like, you probably didn't have to worry too much about branding wise. Going, yeah, yep. it's, it's purple again. You know, we can we can move on with this uh, ourselves. But no, I thought it was interesting. Like, obviously, I saw it got announced, and uh, the funny thing was, obviously, I, I I think I asked you on before you announced LAG. I was like, oh, I want to speak to City anyway. Um, <laughs> and uh, and you're like, perfect timing, perfect timing. He's just moved teams. We can we can talk about that at length here and. How much? Uh, how many meetings and stuff have you had with the staff over at LAG? What has been the the reception for you as a player? Um, I mean, we there's been lots of back and forth. Um, we obviously flew out there to film our uh, announcement video, and I kind of met everybody personally. Um, and you know, some of our players and subs met for the first time, so that's always <laughs> cool. Um, but yeah, they've been they've been uh really hands on with everything. I feel like they're uh you know, they're going to be a lot more hands-on this year in terms of their social and with their players and things like that too. So that's definitely good for us. Awesome. All right, well, let's go into some uh, quick fire questions. Because okay. um, there are two good questions I like to ask everybody. And I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I know one of these is a super softball. Um, best best teammate? Yeah, best teammate throughout your career? I have, man, I have a few. Um, well, we'll just say Assault because he's on my team. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you, you've been with him a lot, like a lot. It's, been, it's a significant portion of your career for that one. Um, and uh, this is a more difficult one. This is not the softball. Uh, worst teammate? Um, can, can be worst teammate. Like, because, you know, if, if, we're, if we're talking can be a good teammate, can be a bad teammate, I would probably say Aches. Oh, wow. Okay. I can see that from him. <laughs> Very yeah, passionate he... man, right? Very passionate man. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I, I can see that as well. I suppose the 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 other side of that is biggest regret, you know, in your career so far. Like, what is one decision or one moment you're like, oh crap, I never want to relive that, or I never want to do that again, or I definitely made the wrong. I mean, there there's wow, there's a ton. Um, definitely like not like 
quitting at the end of Black Ops 2 into Ghost was definitely a really bad choice. I feel like that was a big, like, uh, big game for a lot of people, and I feel like that game definitely would have fit my play style, um, which would have played Ghost. Okay, yeah, that's a, that's a really good answer, actually. A lot of people don't have that. This next one, super easy, because I, I, I think I know what it's going to be, but best moment in Call of Duty esports uh winning champs yeah that was that was good <laughs> that was pretty much an easy one right it's most people's it's it's most people's ones to go through um and then the rest of, and, and then the next the next question i have to ask is not a quick fire one because it is a little bit more in depth um what do you think of uh cold war um i think cold the base of the game is pretty good yeah. um i hope there's some better maps on the horizon obviously the ones we have right now aren't fantastic um and i want I personally want the slide nerfed into the ground. Oh, okay. It's because they've changed it three times now, right? They've changed it three yeah. times. It's still very quick. It, it is still quick. Um, it, it's obviously not nearly as long as it was before. Um, but I would like it to be like a ghost slide where it's just used to like maneuver away, uh -huh. rather than you know sliding into gunfights and sliding into people and things like that. Um, I feel like. Old War is definitely a game that shouldn't have a slide like that, just based on how it looks. Uh -huh. um, it definitely takes away from the tr traditional Black Ops feel, so I really hope they uh, patch that up a little bit. So this has been a, a hot topic of conversation on the timeline, and a lot of players are saying it here, but I suppose for people who aren't at the, the level you are, why is it such a, a mechanical problem in the game at the moment? Because we've had quick slides you know, before, and we've had all kinds of mechanics. Why is it such an issue at a professional level? um because because obviously like the the slide kind of gets abused and if you have people that are really really good with their movement um just being good at sliding is going to get you a lot of kills um and also which we won't have to really deal with anymore when you're on console there's a lot of like cameraing okay. where you can like slide around a corner and you they'll see you before you see them um pc should fix that with the better frames and stuff but uh it's just kind of Makes for a lot of inconsistent gameplay, in my opinion. Okay, no, I think that's a that's a great answer, and I suppose also to go with the PC change. Hopefully, we get a, a kind of a tick upgrade in terms of Call of Duty, so we get better. So, have you have you played much on PC? Have you gone over to PC and enjoyed it? Like, I uh, yeah, I played I played a bit on PC. It, it definitely feels better than it does on console for sure. Uh -huh. Um, very refreshing too in terms of like. You know, playing on, I mean, the PlayStation's so far behind, like as of right now, like technology wise, yeah. like I can't believe we played on that thing for so long. <laughs> it is bad. Uh, have you, are you one of these players who's bought yourself some sort of super, super rig? Um, I have, I have two uh, pretty good computers. Um, I'm definitely not going to spend $1,500 on a graphics card. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I don't know why players have done that. They've gone way overboard. Um just to just to get so <laughs> it's because uh, i've been talking about the timeline right now and i've seen players buy it and you know what if you if you're earning a bag do whatever you want but uh, also at the same time i'm sitting there going if you just bought a reasonable computer like you can go to 144 hertz you really want to go to 240 i feel like it's a bit more inconsistent and you spend a lot more money but you could you could save easily a grand or so and have an outrageous PC. And then if you need to upgrade in two years, then that's an extra grand you save. You can do it again. Like technology will increase as well. I just, I was just curious because I know a lot of people have gone and go, right, that's it. Give me everything. I don't know anything about PCs, but I want it. <laughs> I want. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like if we, if we have events, um, I feel like they're probably going to put us all on 
they're i doubt they're giving us computers with 3080s in them and like you know uh completely maxed out so i assume we're all going to be our computers at home would probably be better than the ones that we play on at the actual events yeah. so that does make a lot of sense to me personally if that's the case yeah i mean i uh i spoke about this realistically a lot of pros will be aiming for 240 because like i said they're just going to put money into it just throw money out until it works um but you are right and i think if we're being honest 144 hertz and 144 hertz panel is basically the standard and i think that's what pros are going to expect here i don't think we're going to see 3090s in every pc um 3070s probably great card when it comes out in the benchmarks by the look of it 3080s also the probably same if and this is a big if if you know everybody can get them at the moment they are they are rare and obviously um going into the league i'm curious when they when they bring out the pc specs because i reckon obviously they're just going to have the same pc spec by the way this is what we're doing this is our standard for the year this is our standard pc and here's our official monitor because um, i can't actually remember what monitor they were played on this year uh the ben q what is it the two or the aces two four h or whatever it is I, can't, like I, don't, I don't know what the refresh rate of that is i never actually bothered looking um because obviously it doesn't matter for the console it doesn't need to go above 60 oh we were, yeah we were on a 60 yeah and obviously that's gonna have to change because people aren't gonna be playing on the 60 <coughs> one right they're just they're just not going to nope. um <laughs> uh all right let's do a couple more questions and i think we can we can wrap this up because it's been a it's been a great chat uh about your career um favorite memory from the modern warfare season uh probably the minnesota home event um having actually having like a home field advantage and having like fans you know because the only people that have ever felt that are like optic that have the whole crowd cheering, cheering yeah. for them and stuff so it's definitely cool to be a part of something like that um definitely my favorite memory Awesome, yeah. I think that was a, that was actually a great point of the year, and that was the first time like a lot of the negative people about home stands were like, "Oh, this does actually seem to be working in some way that we want it to." Um, and it kind of goes on to this next question, right? Uh, Blues for life. Who, you know, thanks for the prime earlier. Um, I guess I missed a lot of the episode, but what improvements do you want for C? Well, I think I'm guessing it's a CDL's tournament league format. Like, what do you think can be improved from the current Modern Warfare system to next year? I know that there have been changes, or at least rumored changes, and I don't know what you know, but what would you like to see from last year's format? Um, I mean, ideally, we would have liked to see a couple more teams, so we don't have this weird like eight-team tournament style. Yeah. Um, obviously, for land events to come back uh hopefully more server locations if we're going to be online so we bridge a little bit of the gap in between teams because you know they were kind of spaced out before um uh you know hopefully we're gonna have a pause feature now so we don't have to deal with any of these lag outs that lose people entire matches am, um, I, am I right in saying that there was actually a pause feature this year but because it switched to online that obviously didn't work anymore yes so um I don't know. I don't know why it it worked. It's because we had I don't know maybe because we're all on LAN. It worked with the PC to console thing, but I don't think you could pause online PC to console for whatever reason. But yeah, we had it in the first place. But uh, yeah, obviously that wasn't there anymore because there's been a <laughs> lot of matches lost by people yeah. getting you know hit offline and stuff. Oh yeah, we uh <laughs> we 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 saw that at the World Championship. That was a fun couple of days for the Call of Duty community. Um, I suppose a quick follow up. I'm kind of curious. Is like. Obviously, playing COD on PC, much different experience. Um, do you, have you been messing around with the field of view? Because that's a massive thing for COD players that have never had to really change before. 
Um, yeah, I've, <clears throat> I've been playing on 110. Um, I've been playing PC Warzone for a little bit as well, so I kind of just matched my settings and swapped them over. But yeah, I, I like 110. I've been playing on it. It looks nice. Awesome. All right. Well, I think I think that wraps it up. It has been an absolute pleasure, uh, Justin, to have you on and, and kind of walk through uh, your team. You what, one last question, because I think this is a really good one, actually. <laughs> Before we end it, a bonus question. Who do you think is the best team on paper? So far, that's been announced. Uh, phase, and it's not even close. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. That's an easy one then. Easy, quick fire one. But uh, before we go, obviously, anything you want to say to people listening or watching at home? Any final statements or thoughts? Um, just that I'm excited to uh, represent the West Coast for once. Um, my first like West Coast team, and you know, it's LA. Um, hopefully, gonna bring uh going to improve a lot from last year uh standing wise and uh make the la fans proud awesome all right well thank you so much for joining me here and and walking back through memory lane as nice as memories might be or as horrible as they might be i do appreciate you giving me your time and i'll probably catch up with you again in about six months to, to see how this season went and, and, and so on and so forth but i really do appreciate you giving me the time and, and the same thing to all the the fans watching and listening at home Appreciate all the subscriptions on Spotify and YouTube. Keep them coming in. I try to reply to all the comments each week. Thank you all so much for watching. And we'll see you next time.